This is Mission.org. Hey, Marketing Trends fans. This is Ben. Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to let you know that we are going to be at Dreamforce in San Francisco this year. We're doing a few sessions, including a live recording on Tuesday, the 19th of November at the Pied Piper Bar in the Palace Hotel. So come say hi. We'd love to see you. And we hope to see you all there. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Hello, and welcome to Marketing Trends. This is producer Ben Wilson. Today's episode features an interview with Alicia Stackle, Senior Vice President and CMO of RealPage. Alicia is an awesome marketer with more than 20 years of marketing experience at companies like Dell and Thomson Reuters. On this episode, Alicia talks about how to create and deliver relevant content, balancing creativity with a data-driven approach, and much more. One note, Alicia was still working for Thomson Reuters when this episode was recorded, so that's why she doesn't talk about her current role with RealPage. Enjoy. Marketing Trends is created by the team at Mission.org and sponsored by Salesforce Pardot, B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Are you ready to take your B2B marketing to new heights? With Pardot, marketers can find and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast or click the link in the show notes. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer of Mission.org. And in our little studio in the center of serious decisions, Alicia, how's it going? Very good. How are you? You know, I'm doing great. It's been a great week so far. And, you know, we save the best for last. Uh, <laughs> Love it. <laughs> you have a really interesting background. We're going to get into uh, all of that, what you're currently doing at Thomson Reuters. We're going to talk a little bit about building marketing teams, powering your teams, breaking through in a crowded market, much more. But first, how'd you get into marketing? Well, actually, I was going to be a physical therapist. I was an athlete. I was an athlete, um, had a big injury, had about six to nine months of rehabilitation, kind of fell in love with how you could put somebody back together and help them do what they loved. And then they brought in rodeo cowboys and needed some help. And it turns out I don't actually do well with other people's pain. So I passed out. So I always tell people I got into marketing um, so I didn't have to purposely hurt anybody um, (laughs) because I could not do it. And (laughs) so, um, yeah, I started in sales, actually. Loved it, had a great experience, and uh, there were some really interesting components of that that, you know, at the time I wouldn't have called it targeting or thinking about propositions or those kinds of things, but that I applied to it. And so we hit a number they didn't expect us to hit, and the uh, general manager stayed late on a Friday and asked me how I did it. And I walked him through and he said, you don't do sales anymore. And um, <laughs> walked me to an office and said, here's here's where you will be on Monday. And you're going to, at the time it was uh, take over direct mail. And then eventually I ran that entire marketing division. And so you, you had a first stint at Thomson Reuters and then you left and then you recently, not too recently, but came back. And then in the middle of that, you, you did a, a long stint at Dell. Can you share a little bit about like your your time at Dell and, and kind of what you learned there? Sure. Well, I mean, it's just a great experience, right? Dell is of a size and scale that you can do a lot of rotations and it's something that they're very focused on. And so I had great mentors that, I mean, just really gave me opportunities to try things I hadn't done before or expand a skill set that I had. So, for example, coming out of Thomson, which at the time was Thomson versus Thomson Reuters, 
I was selling into banks, credit unions, and did that both from a sales and marketing perspective. When I got to Dell, they put me in K through 12 education. Wow. I really didn't have any experience there. By the time I left that role, I was a funding expert. I was serving on mm-hmm. councils for um, the FCC and just different things like that. So I had this entire new experience and way of thinking about marketing with parameters that were in state and local government. And it was a fantastic experience. And so I was in that division for about three years in different roles and then started to rotate out to other corporate areas. I did global services launches. Um, So that global experience and working with so many different countries and launching our new pro support line at the time, it was was just enormous, right? And so much to coordinate in a much different perspective. And from there, I went to messaging and positioning and you got such experience and tie-in and learning about the brand and how you really build that and how you connect that to a product and a very specific customer set because we had so many verticals and, and, and I could go on and on, but it's a very supportive environment, but it's also a very like jump in, learn it, do it. We'll help you with parameters if you, you know, hit a guardrail. Um, and everybody that you're with is really smart. You can turn left, turn right, and you're going to have somebody you can bounce ideas off of. So it was fantastic. Yeah. You know, when we were talking before this about rotational programs and how valuable that is, it's something that for marketers, like there's just so much silo. Uh, and I know there's a lot of things we talked about this week, a lot of serious about breaking down silos, but you know, you want people who are functional experts, but you also want people to understand the other functions. You want people to understand other business functions. It's something that can really, you know, accelerate your career when you do have that stuff, but it kind of accelerates it 10 years down the line, right? right? Like that's when you really see the benefits. Like, hey, I'm a director now. It's a good thing I know all this stuff. How do you kind of develop that that sense of breadth of knowledge on on your team that you run now? Right, sure. And I I have to admit that as you were talking through it, um, what I give marketers, uh, especially early marketers advice on is go do a sales role. I think it's one of the things that that just you never get too stuck in the theory of it all because you've been in front of a customer and and have what I call that calculator on your shoulder. You understand the sense of urgency and that you finish a year and you start day one at zero again. I always give that piece of advice. And then in terms of I actually am a huge fan of rotational programs. And and I think you have to be bought in on that as a company and as a leadership team, because as people rotate, you're going to put them in roles that they weren't deep in. You got to give them a chance to scale there. But as they do that, as they have that support around them, I mean, you're spot on. They end up with a much broader business acumen. They have context for what they're doing. So even if they decide they're going to go down a deep path in digital or a deep path in another area, they bring a context to it that makes it if you will work more systematically across the business, because they really are understanding if I throw this lever here, I'm impacting over there and we should be coordinated. And I think that's just really, really critically important. And it's easy to lose sight of that with the pace that we run in marketing. The other thing is, let's be honest, the marketing landscape changes so much every day. There are millions of wonderful technology applications that you could apply in any of your campaigns and any of your infrastructure on a day-to-day basis. There's no way that who you hire today is going to have that expertise. So we need to actually train people and give them the ability to learn how to ramp on something they don't know, because we're going to actually ask them to do that every day for the next 50 years. Yeah. You know, Marketing is changing so fast. And obviously, you know, how we enable technology within that building marketers that have the creative side, that have the technology side, that can, you know, leverage data. A lot of these skill sets are brand new. 
right? There's roles every day that are being created. You know, like we didn't think that a social media manager, I mean, that didn't exist, you know, or any of this stuff. And it's tough. And there's no way to see where you're going to be. You know, that's the the adage of uh, you can't connect the dots until the end, right? You have to just place dots. And I think that's what rotational programs do a great job of. What does your team look like now at Thomson Reuters? Sure. We've reorganized the marketing team for scale and we're built around capability sets. So ultimately they're working in agile pods and anything that they're doing to deliver for the business. And those are made up of people that are going to come to the table with a strategy as their focus and background, demand gen, brand content, whether that's strategy or actual development, all the way through to performance metrics, insights, et cetera. So we, we deploy around what is required for the project versus just kind of running things end to end through the way we might in the past. Right. That's new muscle, too. And so we actually will be having a big event for our marketers in August where we're all going to Vegas and we're going to have multiple days of training. Yeah, we'll be doing a lot leading up to that. But I would say we all have to invest more in our people and those skill sets because there are so much coming at them that they have to learn, digest and also prioritize. Right. It's easy to get really excited about a bright, shiny object. But does it really enable you to do something different? If not. Maybe that's not the thing to bring in and sort of break what's flowing really nicely today. Um, so I, I think a lot of it is also teaching pe- people how to test yeah. um, and feel comfortable that not all those tests are going to work out. But I would say from from our perspective, organizationally, we're building around the customer as the first format of our orientation. From there, we're actually building to scale our support model for sales. And some of those things work really well. And some of the things like one thing that jumped out at me here was a a lot of the talk around ABM, which we're huge fans of. But honestly, a lot of our sales makers, what they've read about are the really intense one-to-one marketers embedded in your account team type of ABM versus the more scalable, you know, some people call it light ABM, some line it to categories of customers, those kinds of things. That's more on the side that we'll really anchor on. And so I, I would say the other thing is marketing becomes a bigger required driver of the business. It's getting more visibility, which gets more visibility to sales makers who now have expectations in mind, often very consumer oriented in their day to day lives. And so there's just a lot that I would say a marketer has to manage today, both from knowing the technology, knowing what parts you want to go utilize. And then also, how do you communicate what that means to a sales maker? Because as we talked about, they're walking around with a number that they care about every day. Yeah. Do these how like how many pods are we are we talking about here? I feel like we're talking about dolphins um, or AirPods or something. Um, so, so I guess I should say, yeah, like what what does that look like? What is the level of of support there? from a numbers, I don't know if you can share exact numbers, but like generally. Sure. And we're still learning, right? Some of this is new muscle for us that we're, we're building from a marketing perspective. What we're looking at is some, we're, we're setting up some that are operational. So if you're trying to create new infrastructure to support a more scalable ABM, instead of everybody figuring that out in each of their divisions separately, how do you bring a small, smart group together that can make those decisions and then roll that out? So some of them are operational in nature. Other things might be around launches come together, you're going to figure out what that should look like, how you want to make that go live. And then it goes more into an operational flow that isn't necessarily around the pod. That's more around the capability sets and who executes that demand on an Mm -hmm. ongoing basis. So it it flexes right at any given time. We've got a pretty complex portfolio. We serve a lot of different personas. The division that I run has corporate 
attorneys all the way through corporate tax professionals, and there's lots of departments and divisions in there. So we probably will end up with more, if you will, agile pods than a mm-hmm. lot of organizations, but we don't know what that average is going to be yet. Yeah. It's an exciting time. I mean, I think these type of things, you know, we haven't talked to a ton of CMOs that are doing stuff like this. Like, what was the impetus for why you wanted to position in this way? That's interesting. Well, it truly is based on the customer and how the customer wants to be served. We were more set up in product or their business divisions, but they were very product oriented. So if you think about the division I run, it supports an entire corporation end to end in reality with what we deliver and all their workflows. But we came at them like multiple businesses because we were set up as a legal team, a tax and accounting team, and so on down the line. So if you really want to serve the customers the way they want to be served, which is holistically, you have to reorient for them, yeah. not not what might have been the easiest uh, structure or the structure you grew up in or the structure that developed over time. So that was a big decision for the overall business. We all made those moves. We all made the moves at the same time. And the feedback from customers has been quite strong. Again, we're still growing and changing and, and learning as we build those. But God, anytime you can orient to how a customer lives their daily life, it's just so much better in the end for them. Yeah, it 100% makes sense. I think a lot of the leaders that we talk to like want to figure out how to do that, especially along the customer journey, like, you know, the long tail of that, not to optimize for the purchase, but, you know, to sustain for the long haul. How do you think about that kind of customer journey and what types of activities are you doing, you know, pre-sale, onboarding, post-sale, all that from a marketing perspective? Right. I think this is one of the challenges for CMOs because when we get into the customer journey, there's so really marketing could be everywhere. Yeah. Right. And so you got to decide how you're going to handle that internally. What do you enable? Because there's people touching customers all the time through engagements on the phone, customer visits, et cetera. But when it starts to get to the written word, people get a little bit nervous and all of a sudden it's marketing. Right. So we are looking at that end to end and we we've called them from time to time spearheads where we'll go in and say, okay, we really want to optimize in the end for this persona and we'll start with onboarding. What does that look like? What should we do? We'll do it in two week sprints and it's every cross function of the company, including marketing. Uh, And we'll do that all the way through renewal flows. We'll go out and get customer feedback, information, how that's working, where there's points to improve. And and then we'll make those adjustments so that they can easily seamlessly online renew if they want. So I would just say that everybody is sort of maturing in these areas. You do actually need to map out what I call your North Star for, for end to end. But mm-hmm. sometimes we bite off a little bit more than we chew, we can chew. And I would suggest that you start really, you, you test, you get good at it, then you deploy for the other product lines and end up in a consistent experience because most of your customers have more than one of your, your product sets. Can you walk through, you know, for our listeners, like what one of those customer journeys might look like? Because I think, you know, in a company like Thomson Reuters that has so much stuff going on, I think sometimes to kind of ground ourselves and like, what does this actually look like for, you know, a new customer walking, walking through this and how you might align that team to, to serve them the best? Sure. Well, if you think about, we'll just take the tax side of, of the house. 
there's so many things that a tax department has to achieve, and, and normally they're broken into tax departments that somebody's going to uh, focus on direct tax, somebody on indirect tax, but there's all these workflows that each of those departments are challenged with, and we provide software that is content enabled, right, so that they can make decisions as they're doing filings, and they're very uh, cyclical, where they have spikes in time periods. Yep. And, you know, from our perspective, it's really important that in the downtime, you have all the information that you need to get just really great using that tool set so that when it spikes, you're a well-oiled machine and you have all the support around that you need during those times. So we tend to look at the different seasonality points of the customer yeah. experience as well and really make sure we're optimizing around that. So we might change support models or we might take feedback on the self-serve information that they need. And it's also different by size of firm and yeah, what I mean, kinds what, of things that they What size um, of do. customers, like what, like who's, who are those type of buyers? Right. So at, at Thomson Reuters, when you think about our full tax division, if you will, you've got tax professionals that could be individual proprietors all the way up to the largest accounting firms in the world. So very different needs, dynamics, totally. um, support uh, required, and, and we have solutions all the way through. So our teams really do have to be pretty maniacal about understanding the persona and the way that that person works because that experience needs to be tailored more to their requirements, which are quite different. I mean, those are really different buyers, like hugely different buyers, essentially, you know, the difference between like SMB and large enterprise. Are you working on marketing campaigns that touch both of those things? Are you working on sales enablement that help both those things, content marketing that speak to those multiple different things? Like what, what does that look like? We do have that separated out. So if you think about the customer divisions, you've got tax professionals, which is more the attorneys that have their own firms all the way up to pretty large um, accounts or very large accounts, I should say. Then you've got the corporate customer. And again, the cycles and some of those things are are different as well. So the timing of when you would market to them can also be different. So, but, but the campaigns, the things that keep them up at night, those, those are are different. And even our user conferences, even if we have you at the same time period, you're going to be in different tracks because what you care about is unique. You're both going to care about changes to tax law, but how that applies and what you need to do about it, those kinds of things are are, are really different. Yeah, it's super interesting because of, you know, seasonality is so important for something like this. And when you're delivering content, it's like, yeah, nobody's reading your content on April 10th, right? We have so many matter experts, right? You've got attorneys on staff, you've got tax professionals, tax attorneys uh, across the boards, and they keep us really honest about what we, we even in terms of our customer surveys and where you give us feedback on things we should adjust, we do not send those out to certain customer yeah. segments at certain times of the year because th- it, w- it would be like we didn't know them, right? That totally, they're in the yeah. middle of working point. from 7 a.m. or 6 a.m. to midnight and we're sending a customer survey. And so when you think about mapping that journey, we don't just map how they engage with us on a day-to-day basis, but how they engage engage with us at certain points in the year. The whole company uh, is on vacation from April 16th to whatever. Maybe it's a little bit after that, right? But when I sold into to, to banking, that was uh, one of my early learnings, right? All of a sudden, the marketing stuff just dropped off or the sales motions dropped off. And I, and I was new to it. And in banks, there was a, a regulation at the time. This is so old. I, I'm sure they still have a similar regulation, mm-hmm. but, but it's uh, so many years ago. But they had to take a two, certain levels, had to take two weeks 
weeks at a time. So pretty much everybody took it in the summer. And so if you didn't sort of get ahead of your marketing motions or your sales motions, you couldn't make that up. So a lot of businesses have that to think about. Um, Some are more intense and you know how much they're, they're having to work during that time period. And you really should be in that support mode versus trying to sell them something new. That's, that's not good for them or for you. Yeah. When we were speaking to a marketing leader at Udemy, they're saying that Wednesdays, I think is from two to three is when like the majority of people do like learning. And so they just shut down their whole company from two to three and everybody's mandatory that you like that's your time for learning. That's great. Um, and it, to, to that, I responded, "What time zone?" Though? Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, we're 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 remote teams. We're spread all over. But but I think that that sort of thing is really interesting because you can now we can use data to tell when people are doing different sort of stuff. And it's not just seasonality. It's time of week. It's time of day. And if you're a marketer that's understanding that stuff, and you can listen. Uh, you know, now you can track the data of when people are opening and doing sort of things. And now with personalization, you talked about, you know, ABM, you can now deliver people content when they want it. You know, we think about this like all the time with podcast content of, hey, do we publish at 4 a.m. so that on the East Coast time so that people can, you know, wake up to their commute? Uh, then he's like, hey, do you publish at, you know, midnight so that, you know, people on and then you start working like, how, how do you best do this so that the time zones for the people who are, who are doing this uh, and then ultimately on demand stuff. Right. So if uh, if you're putting content out there, how do you think about like those types of things and, you know, really crafting like from prospect to customer experience in a way that is like meaningful and relevant? Again, I think when you look at the data in our world, there's what customers are doing in that particular moment when they need that data that we need to be aware of. So they might be in the middle of an acquisition or they might be in the middle of a filing or they might be in the middle of, there's just different points in time where there's times that they um, need to engage with content right then and there. And so from a marketing perspective, it's great if I can serve it up at that time. Some of that can be looking at intent data externally. And a lot of that is looking at usage data internally. We look at it more from a customer experience perspective to make sure when they're in the middle of a workflow that they have all the content that they need. But that's absolutely an area of growth for us and an area of focus to make sure we're always doing it in a way that is first and foremost beneficial to the customer and doesn't feel like you're constantly getting alerts of things you could purchase, use, or otherwise. Well, when you have so much stuff behind the product, how do you let people know about that in the pre-sales process because I think that's like one of those one of those things where you don't really know until you're getting it every day. So, you know, there's, I mean, I don't know if you test drive or anything like that, but still, even still, unless you're using it on a consistent basis, you wouldn't know how great this is. Right. It's actually a little bit difficult just because often these are big decisions when they're yeah, selecting a new tax engine and they're thinking yeah. through the fact that they have to implement that and there might be data that has to be moved and there's training that'll have to happen mm-hmm. and those kinds of things. So one of the things we're working on is how we make sure, um, because one of our value propositions really is the fact that we can help them from an end to end perspective, mm-hmm. but you can see us as well, get really focused on helping them stand up that one area and element. And are we always doing a great job of helping them think about, okay, what would be the next piece or would you want to do this concurrently? And so honestly, we're, we're working on that now. 
in marketing, often we'll call it like a cross-sell opportunity. Yeah, sure. um, and it almost sounds a little crass when I say it like that on um, as we're sitting here talking, because it's more about, did we help them all the way through the workflow and were they aware of it? And I'll, I'll give you an example where I was sitting with a, a legal customer who's on the operational side, kind of the, te- the technology side for the firm. And we were going through some product roadmaps at an advisory council. And she was like, oh, I didn't know you guys did that. I've been mm-hmm. having to solve for that. And look, that's a, a millennial of a problem for marketers is to make sure that people don't say, oh, I didn't know you you did that. That, that can be difficult. But for us, because it's a part of the workflow, we've just got to find a better way to expose that so that they're making a more holistic decision from time to time. But honestly, they're gonna. We, we want the customer to get to be a guide in that. Sometimes they're only making that one decision, and that's fine. We can make sure we can deliver that. But what we're trying to do for our our sales team is provide more line of sight to what those motions are and what would be really beneficial to the customer, so they've got that comfort to bring up those additional products. And then honestly, that shift to a customer orientation is to help in that process because we were a bit more LOB by LOB, mm-hmm. so we would coordinate across those reps, but we did. Um, have multiple reps that would be going into that customer, maybe not oh, wow. as okay. not as coordinated as as we'd like, or that customers that would like today. I think that's an evolution of our market, along with an evolution of us. And 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 like every market, right? Like if you have if you have multiple sales reps, multiple people in the company talking, you know, multiple to one with one purchaser is it's, it's tough. It is, and for us, it might not actually even be one purchaser, but it's one broad department or it might yeah, be one yeah, corporation. Yeah, yeah. Right. So so these are also very technical products. And so you might bring in the person who knows everything about international tax as they're trying to think through how they want to handle something and and what selections therefore they're making from a software perspective. And so we need that kind of a model where you can flex in and out. But again, it's it's really interesting, right? You start to align your your tool sets, your technology, your account plans, all those things much differently when you really organize the company around the customer versus others. So it's a it's a, a growing opportunity for us because we're, we're ready to do that now in our orientation. How do you think about content that you are, like content marketing and engaging prospects? Yeah, we, we have, um, like my team uh, has both lots of exciting conversations and debates around this one because we've got to find that balance between really providing the latest and greatest content because there's always something changing, right? Mm-hmm. That you could highlight and it's interesting. And there's some that are bigger pops than others. And also not developing so much content that it was for not. You, you got to find that balance. And what I kind of pushed my team on is um, not everybody saw the piece you produced the first 100 times you even sent it out, yeah. right? And old content can work. Re- I don't mean old out of date, but I mean, the older pieces of content can work really well for you because you've optimized and you've figured out who to target and when they want to see it and all those kinds of things. So I just really push on the don't create new for the sake of new, make sure there's a compelling reason for it and really test it against what else you have out there because otherwise you just, you're, you're, potentially overwhelming customers, but more than likely, you're just overwhelming your capacity to produce. That's exactly right. I mean, um, and a great point. I mean, that is most of the time, 
I think we worry about overwhelming the consumer of the content. And most of the time we're just overwhelming ourselves. Like, right. With diminishing returns. Some of the yeah. things, um, and it, years ago, this for me was around ads. You find that people just wanted to change them all the time. And oh, you finally yeah. had to just stop and say, look, we get tired of our stuff way before everybody else does. If they're still performing, why are you changing it? Well, right. You can monitor that and decide when you want to adjust and you probably find your flow for how frequently you need to do it. Yeah. There's also, you know, I love our friends, our agency friends, but there's a little bit of that where if it's your job to come up with new stuff, then you're going to come up with new stuff, right? Well, I'm a marketing geek. I love all the new stuff. Like I absolutely, but fortunately I'm also very data driven. So yeah. I sort of balance my, my desire to want to do that and watch that I don't ask for that either because, you know, in their defense often we're like, Ooh, I saw an ad that someone did. And, uh, it was, you know, your team produced it, whether you have an internal Marcom organization or you're using external or a mix of both. And so we're, we can be our own worst enemies, right? We love the bright, shiny objects too. Yeah. I mean, we, we talk a lot about, uh, the Dos Equis campaign and, uh, how there's a study that was done that basically was like, everybody liked this and wanted it to keep going. And, uh, and they, and they shifted it for whatever reason. And it's, yeah, it's one of those things like, when you're getting sick of your message that it's probably starting to stick. But then then you made it about you, 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 right? And I think the thing that always is that you just don't go wrong if you make it about the customer. And if they're still getting the information they need out of it or they love the campaign, you just, you didn't need to change it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's, I want to talk about some of the, some of the exciting campaigns that you've done in the past and some of the not so exciting campaigns that you've done in your career. Um, what's your favorite campaign that you've ever done? Probably the connected classroom. Um, mm-hmm. I love the education market mm-hmm. and uh, that was a, a time and place too, where there was just so much technology being directed at educators and it's hard to figure out how you're actually going to take that in and change the educational experience. And so they had a lot coming at them from lots of different angles that was more about the tech and looking cutting edge than, you know, are you using this the way you would have used a chalkboard? And so what was really cool about it was that we got to invest in really how the technology would be utilized, how it how it'd be maintained. If you're a teacher and you've got all this tech in the room, what happens if you don't know how to use something or you have a glitch while you're in the middle of a class, you can't really slow down the class. So we got to come up with new service offerings where they could just make a phone call from the classroom. And there was just all sorts of different angles that you got to think about it. And then when it came to the thinking through the creative, right, you were empowering educators to help children. So it was just so much fun. Like everybody fully connected with it. Um, I think it was something that you'd see in the entire, um, not just marketing organization, but the business, for example, at Dell, when the the customers that you were enabling in that space, whether it was first responders or educators or, or you have it, you just really got to, you felt like you were helping someone who was really making a difference in the world. So those campaigns were extra fun, right? You felt like you were connecting them with something. And so I would say those were some of the most fun. And it also was really, it worked really well. So yeah. we felt good about it too, right? It's not the, the only one that comes to mind, but probably if you ask me my favorite, I still, uh, I was going through some old materials. I clearly never throw some of those out, <laughs> including the fact that my daughter who uh, now is in college was uh, one of the, uh, we needed a really cheap model. Oh, I signed yeah. away all her rights. No, no, yeah, <laughs> just for that, just for that year. Yep. Oh no, but she, right. She's, uh, she's even uh, peppered in some of the, the stuff because we needed a quick photo shoot and we didn't want to have stock photography for this really new concept. Oh, so, that's so, so great. That, I'm probably biased to that one if I'm honest, if I think that through. See, I love that because that's one of those things where 
especially now with tech, like camera technology, it's like, why are you going to get stock photography? We did that. We did a video shoot pretty recently with a, with one of our customers, and uh, yeah, we just shot a bunch of like folks on like the team and different different folks that were around, and same sort of thing. Like we could have went and bought stock people typing in a computer, and we're like, we have a computer sitting right there. Let's just let's just shoot it. Well, I think what was interesting in that particular case, right, is that we wanted to show the technology in motion, and so you just couldn't get that from stock. Now I get the coolest thing ever. I get to leverage Reuters photography, and it's yeah, so right. powerful and and authentic and and engaging. And I was laughing. I was working on a PowerPoint that I spent way too much time on last night, just because <laughs> at one point I just couldn't pick the, the all the images brought to life that what I wanted to have come across is sort of the theme for the presentation. I, you know, I don't know how I ever recover from that. If I uh, yeah. go, go, uh, well, clearly I could just buy Reuters photography from here on out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, no. yeah it's a great point. I mean, that, that's, what's one of the things that's like kind of that a little bit of the too many options sort of scenario now that you have with some of these brilliant things where you're like, I could find every single use case that I ever needed from uh, from this. Uh, it doesn't feel stock photo anymore. No, and I, I would be remiss. Um, we're we're so excited because our two journalists were just pardoned and are now free. And uh, it, it's amazing when you talk about that connectivity to purpose. Mm-hmm. It's one of the things that Thomson Reuters just has in such a significant way. You've got people all around the world mm-hmm. focused in on that, and 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 I I feel like I see that when I see the the photography. Right, you you see the world and totally. the reality of the world. We've been at serious decisions for the last three days. Any any big takeaways here? What anything that you saw on the on the floor in the sessions that you're that you're really thinking about and excited about? Well, you know, I, honestly, what I'm most excited about is how excited my team that's yeah. here. And and we actually we, we brought people from across Thomson Reuters that, you know, as I said earlier, that investment in your people. Some of it is you just get it's so important to get out and totally. just get to think differently for a while. And they connected with a lot of people. They connected with each other in ways that you don't always get to at the office. And especially as people are dispersed at, at different locations. They had lots of meetings with lots of vendors and got to hear new things. Sometimes you really hard on ourselves internally about how we're doing in marketing. I think it was really enlightening to see some of the things we're doing really, really well and might be ahead on and some things that we have real opportunities on and that there's some frameworks and new uh, relationships you can reach out to and say, you know, I always call it getting the really, reallys. What what really worked, <laughs> what didn't work, how do you get there? We don't all have to make the same mistakes. We're a broad marketing community that can help one another. Um, so I thought that was really good. I, I really liked the reality of the case studies and being able to have that kind mm-hmm. of engagement and those kind of Q&As, I thought that was really good as well. And so I, I think it was just a great experience for the teams. And again, I think these are the kinds of things that you've got to find for your team to go to uh, so that they broaden their network, broaden their exposure to what's out there and can also come back with a fresh set of ideas. Do you have a certain hiring philosophy that you use? Like what type of team members are you looking for? Well, there's there's sort of some specific things that we for sure look for, no matter what marketing role that you're coming in for. One of those is that you have a data driven orientation. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you're the person who runs numbers or those kinds of things, but that you think about it from that perspective. I'm personally very serious about the business acumen, because I think if you make decisions in silos, you you miss things that, that could be great opportunities. We definitely digital, digital, digital. Yeah. Um, 
again, I think you have to think about that as an orientation sometimes versus very specific skill sets or specific products people know really well. It helps for ramping in, but the reality is that's going to change at some point anyway. We definitely look for our culture is really important and it's a very assumed positive intent culture and core values and transparency and those kinds of things. So there's there's absolutely those types of things that, that we look for in everybody. Collaboration, and we're working and, and moved into a an environment even further, which requires collaboration in those uh, agile pods. Accountability. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, when you start to work in those those frames, you want somebody who's like, I don't know that that's clearly mine, but it needs to be done. Let's go figure that out together um, so that we don't drop a particular ball. And then absolutely 100%, no matter what, organizational structure or time period that I've been at Thomson Reuters, that customer orientation, that customer first, really understanding their needs, really making sure that we've done everything humanly possible for them to get what they need to be successful is um, something we look for no matter what kind, you know, whatever role you're looking for. We didn't do, I just realized, we didn't do your least favorite campaign. Oh, well, those are always hard. Um, I tend to have a very positive orientation, so t- sometimes Biggest I forget. Biggest experience. That's right. Um, oh, actually, it was one of my my first marketing job, and mm-hmm. it was uh, the funniest title I will hopefully ever have. I was the director of direct mail. Oh, uh, yeah, it was fancy. I was pretty excited. The um, assistant to the branch manager. That's right. <laughs> that's right. But it was a huge learning in the fact that we had all like again we we dropped tons of direct mail back mm-hmm. then, and there was no way I could probably go read all of those before I started because it was mm-hmm. sort of like you're just dropped in there but I should have done a more of a more of a sampling I kind of went straight into the targeting make sure I kept those things going we just had really written some things badly and it kind of came across condescending to be mm. honest and um, so anyway there was there was a glitch in a list the mailing went out the the writer apparently was known for writing things condescendingly but I didn't know that yet long and short of it is we had to send an apology mm. um, and it was humorous in the fact that first of all I was young I still hate to make mistakes yeah um, I felt terrible the GM was just a really great smart guy and he's like look the world is not going to this end. You just have to fix this. But he made me write the letter from an overzealous employee um, and we sent it out and it actually got great response. Yeah. They love the follow up. Probably my favorite mistake that turned out really well was you know, everybody used to send everything out in number nine env- envelopes. People weren't using self mailers. Mm-hmm. Now I'm starting to make myself sound really old, but I was just <laughs> I, I graduated early from high school and went fast yeah, to college, which yes. is true. But uh, no, we, you know, so I wanted to test self-mailers and signed off on the blue line. The PMS color was right. Everything was fine. But the printer actually messed up the PMS color. Mm-hmm. So it actually looked like a baby hurl kind of green yellow that this piece, <laughs> and it was the very first one we'd ever done. And I was doing this test and the GM uh, came in and he was like, what is this? <laughs> and I was like, um, let's wait and see this response rate before we decide yeah, if we want to change the color. I, and he was like... I know this isn't the right color. I'm like, I know you do, but can we just see how it goes? It was our highest responding thing we had done in years. That's crazy. um, If you think about the environment back then, you know, everybody had like the mail slot. And if you got the wrong mail, it was a pain to get it to the right Mm -hmm. person. But self-mailers weren't. So we just found that not only were we, if we got it to the right person, great. It jumped out at them. It was a clutter buster. If we didn't, it was so easy to just write their name on it and drop it in the outbox. It got to the right person. So we picked up a lot of new contacts. Oh, that's so um, I'm always big on the fact, like 
no need to get too upset if something doesn't look quite right, because A, it may not matter to everybody else. And B, it may jump out and it may be that next big thing that you found. So I love um, that. If, That's we were, great. if we were keeping just one of these, I would keep that one because it actually worked out. <laughs> but it was not a happy day. <laughs> we'll keep both. <laughs> Let's get into the lightning round. OK. Fast and easy questions, just like marketing automation with Pardot. Fast and easy. <laughs> you can go to pardot.com slash podcast and learn more about all the amazing things that Pardot is doing. The number one B2B marketing automation platform. Fast and easy questions. Are you ready? Yes. Number one, what app on your phone are you using that is the most fun? Snapchat with my daughter. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Favorite vacation spot? Camping anywhere in the RV. Oh, in the RV. That's great. Do you have a favorite book or podcast you've read or listened to recently? Recently. I think with reorganization, I'm behind on my book reading, so I don't know that mm. I can say anything recently. But I will admit my guilty pleasure that gives me total brain dead time and I can just pause and not think is People Magazine. No kidding. <laughs> that is a first for the pod. <laughs> That's I can quote great. really ridiculous facts that I don't need for any other reason. <laughs> I love that. Quick aside, I love that People Magazine has just been completely reinvented, and all of the tabloids, all this sort of stuff. Not that it's a tabloid, but all this stuff is just completely reinvented on like Snapchat and Instagram and all this sort of stuff. It's like the most brilliant one thing begets the next and it's like the perfect thing and now people can just like fly through them on the stories i will have to admit the other thing i love that it's related to it is i wake up every morning and i say alexa give me my flash briefing and it gives me my people update and then my thompson reuters uh, tv news and oh, i'm like good great. to go for the day that's great <laughs> what piece of advice would you give to a first-time cmo ah um that one's actually a pretty easy one for me. I think it's really important to go in and and I think we all come in with the, or the, the sort of goal of trying to listen to the teams, hear what's working, what's not working, et cetera. But what I found, and I think some of it was me coming out of the Dell environment, right? Mm -hmm. We were constantly training. We had a marketing university. When we used terms, we meant them exactly the same way. And that was not the case. So I had multiple divisions. And when they said they were doing things like lead scoring and they talked about it, it sounded like spot on the right thing. Yeah. When I dug into it, one of them was really applying it properly. One division was not. Mm. And so we weren't actually delivering the best experience to the sales makers that ultimately were getting those leads. And it was one of many of those kinds of things. So I would say that for me, if I was going somewhere new, I'm going to dig in a different way than I did before. And I think be clear who your uh, vendor partners are that can help you do some quick assessments because you've got really smart people in any organization that you're going into. It just depends what they've been using, not using, how they've been doing their marketing. And sometimes terminology can send you down some, some different paths. So I think it's important to, um, it's not that I didn't dig deep. I didn't pressure test some of those things because it just sounded so perfect and right. And and sometimes people have read a lot of white papers. They've got the buzz terms, mm -hmm. but if they didn't get the support to apply it. And again, it was in pockets, right? There was greatness and then there was spots that needed help. Um, so I think that's really important. I think the other thing I would tell a new CMO is 
you just can't do it all. Like you're going to find a lot of things that you realize that you could go add value in. Pick one thing, make sure it's a big thing, get people rallied behind it. And the next thing you know, you'll be able to do two, three, four at a time. And I'm sometimes want to fix more than I should. And that's what I would give uh, from an advice perspective. What technology or thing are you most excited about for the future of marketing? Oh, I don't know that I could name one thing I'm most excited about with technology. Well, I'm going to tell you one that I'm really excited to use in a bigger way for us. Um, It's Adobe Audience Manager. Hmm. Um, As we've been updating and and adjusting our web environment, there's some new things that are going to be available for us to go use. and, And it's going to be fun to test and learn and get folks training. I think any technology tool that helps us segment mm-hmm. any technology tool that helps us test so that we can optimize more quickly and engage customers in a more personalized way will end up on my short list. Last question. What question did we not ask you today that you wish you had been asked? Oh, that's a good one. That's a tough one at the end of a conference, right? Or you I could, would say, what is the hardest thing in the environment today? What is the hardest thing <laughs> in the environment today? I think it's the fact that on the good news front, marketing is seen now as someone who can come in and be a business driver. But the understanding of attribution models mm-hmm. and the ability to shift to certain attribution models is so dependent on things like data lakes, infrastructure support, and figuring out what cadence of marketing reporting, what people should be looking at, what they should care about, and how far down can you deliver that information down to a rep level when it comes to lead volumes and flows, I think is a big challenge for marketers. And before, I think we were the driving force behind, like, we've got this data, we want you to see it. Now, you know, my team's estimating about 30% of their time is just trying to answer whether it's sales, proposition, product, et cetera, questions that they want to know more about marketing and in the funnel and the conversion and this and that. And that's awesome, except that we actually can't get the marketing work done if we don't get a simplified cadence of of the data. So I would say that's actually the what's hardest right at the moment was the only question you probably didn't ask me. That was great. I love that. Maybe we'll add that one in the okay. future. Um, that's it. Alicia, that's all, right. all we got. Excellent. Where can people find you? Anything to plug? Any open spots on the team? What What do you, what do you got? Sure. Well, we are always looking for uh, marketing talent. And we are absolutely upping our game in the way that we can personalize the engagement with customers. So if you're interested in that, you want to be at a company with a great purpose and, and focus, you'll love Thomson Reuters. So I would plug that. If anybody wants to talk to me, I'm certainly on LinkedIn and it's Alicia Stackle, but looks like a lecha. So I'm always easy to find <laughs> at the A-L-E-C-H-A. And uh, that's it. We'll link that up in the show notes as well. It's been great. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Trends. Marketing Trends is created by the team at mission.org and sponsored by Salesforce Pardot. World-class marketers use Pardot to generate and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI at every stage of the sales cycle. Empower your marketing team to become revenue-generating superheroes and let Pardot's data analysis keep an eye on the bottom line. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast or click on the link in the show notes.
you have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.